Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the JU Israel Teachers Lounge. I know this is very funny. I'm getting a lot of uh, giggly faces looking at me. Uh, and we are recording a very special episode with no coffee. Oh. Right? I don't know how it's Teachers Lounge without coffee. Right. But whatever, I'm just blaming my co-host who is always here, Alan Goldman, who will explain to you why what makes this episode particularly special. How's it going, Alan? It's, it's going great. It's actually really awesome because today... We are actually opened the doors to the teacher's lounge and have invited our old students into the teacher's lounge to talk with us. We're at the MTVA who's having their um, winter recharge. Alumni from last year have come back to Israel to learn and to uh, get their batteries recharged to go back to campus. So we thought we'd do a special podcast issue about what's happening on campus now and any questions they have or answers they may have for us and uh, let it roll. There are eight students from a whole mix of universities. They're incredibly quiet at the moment, so you yes. can't even hear that they're in the room. Exactly. <laughs> there they go. So I know there's two in New York City, right? Connecticut. Three in Maryland. And what are we missing? St. Louis and Massachusetts. Okay. So it's a good, pretty good geographical mix. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that's a fair representation. Now, I think that unless I have something to add, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to be mostly this episode. You, Alan, you taught... Well, of uh, the be a real miracle to see if you're trying to say you're going to back up. I, I, I really find that hard to believe. I promise nothing, but my goal is to more or less be a fly on the wall. But it's an annoying fly on the wall that keeps sticking a microphone in people's faces because that's my job. Because our travel equipment, I have to really like walk over and hold it in people's faces. So I understand now, ladies, if you hate me already for being that annoying guy. Um, but what I would ask you to do, and I, yeah, you're probably right. I'll probably say something. Yeah, you should definitely say something. Don't. Should not, you should not stay as a fly on the wall. But we, we will start with Shoshana asked the question, and I think it's also reflective of, of more of the atmosphere in some ways on campus um, than we talk about overt, you know, as you see in crossing the line. It's much more a conversational relationship thing. You guys can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And so Shoshana asked the question, and Adina wanted to add to the question, right? So let's, let's hear it. Shoshana, go for it. So we're going to ask Shoshana totally spontaneously. We have never heard you ask this question before, before we started recording. What, what is your question for Alan? The long version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was having a conversation with two friends. One is from Nigeria. One is from Pakistan. And we were talking, and one of them told me his name was Anjola. So I asked him where he was from, and he said... He wasn't really sure it was something Nigerian, and I said, oh, that was so cool. You were born in Nigeria, and he said, no, my grandparents were, and I was like, oh, so you're American, and he said, no, I'm Nigerian, and this went back and forth, back and forth, and the Pakistani girl said, I'm also Pakistani, and I said, you told me your great-grandparents came to America, like, you're very American, and they were like, no, I'm Pakistani, and I said, well, like, my my parents are from Russia, but I would still call myself American, and they said, it's different because you're white. So I responded, I don't think you understand my culture or my history because they very much know that I'm an Orthodox Jew. Um, and at that point, my friend, my other friend who was sitting next to me was like, Shoshana, shh. So then, so then um, I was just wondering how should I have responded to that as that if like Jews are just white and that's how we're seen a lot on college campuses. And I just was curious how to respond to that. Great question. Adina, did you want to add to that? 
Um, I guess adding on to the question of like Judaism as an identity, I was in a very similar conversation with some friends when one girl was asking everybody, she was Pakistani, and she's asking, where are you from? One girl went, I'm Italian. A guy went, I'm Indian. And they look at me, and they ask me, where are you from? And I didn't know how to explain to them that, I don't know, I'm Jewish, and I don't really count myself as Polish because my great-grandmother got kicked out of Poland. And I just didn't know how to explain to my friends that my identity is a Jew, and it's not like a specific national origin, so to speak. And you want to add to that? You want to add to this or a different? Oh, yeah, go ahead. You have a different question? You want to no, ask? She wants she's to answer. Talking, yeah. She wants oh, go ahead. Um, well, I think it's just especially since the state of Israel was created, it's the question of is Judaism part of a nationality? Is it a culture? Is it history? Is it a race? Is it like what? What you know? How does it qualify you as a person? And um, I think especially because there are Sephardi Jews, there are Ashkenazi Jews, those, you know, my grandparents are from Syria and from Egypt, and, you know, your grandparents are from, you know, Russia, yours are from Poland, and I think because we all look different, we all also have different traditions, it kind of blurs the line of what Judaism is, and especially because it means different things to different people, how we then go, if we don't know ourselves what it is, how can we advocate for, like, what it is to other people on a college campus who really know nothing about it? Uh, and what did we, I don't think we said your name, Alisa. Thanks. And uh, so I think there's a few ways to respond. First of all, I think if we contextualize this, we look into modern um, American politics and certainly on campus is very based in identity politics. Like, what is your identity? Who do you identify with? And um, the somewhat of a polarization between those who are perceived as white and those who are perceived as non-white, and then and these two categories. Um, and that, that's how check your privilege, Ellen. You're <laughs> <laughs> exactly, um, and that I think we also we that was clearly came out in the last elections which is um, uh, part of that whole discussions of the polarization that is causing elections and a certain amount of fear that's coming that people are talking about in terms of what's going to happen with the new change, um, with the new administration coming in. But we break it down to back to where we are. I, I'm sure I must have shared this story with you, but it was probably like a year ago because this is stuff we sort of started at the beginning of the class um, to build on, and I think we're trying to do it this year even more explicitly because this is becoming more and more the conversation, the question, which is what what are what are Jews? What are we? Like, you know, and I think Elisa said it very well when she said, you know, we have all these different different identities, you know, ethnicity, a culture, this and that, um, and I'm pretty sure I probably shared with you this story when I almost didn't get married. Uh, and because we were getting married in Virginia, and we had to go in and register for our license, and at all these different categories. Mind you, this was 25 years ago. Um, my 25th anniversary is the summer, so it was 25 years ago. And you had to check off the box. Caucasian, black, Hispanic, other. So I, of course, put other. And, and, and uh, the woman at the, in the Fairfax, Virginia, um, City Hall was not so impressed with that. They're like, what are you talking about? You're Caucasian. You're white. Put down white. I'm like, I'm not white. I'm Semitic. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're not Semitic. What is Semitic? That's nothing. You're white. Look at you. You're white. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm from the tribe of Abraham. Right? At that point, my wife was like, would you just shut up already and, and fill out the form and put white and let's get out of here, which, of course, I dutifully did. And we did get married, thank God, 25 years later. But the point of that story is that 
from. Wait, you just got married 25 years later? Because that, yeah. um, have you told your kids? That's super yeah. awkward. Yeah. Okay, 25 years ago I got married, and now it's 25 years later and I'm married. That's my job, syntax corrector yes. on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the question of what we are the Jews and what we propose in the Zionism course and what Zionism holds fundamentally is that the Jews are a nationality, Adina. We are a people. So when someone says, I'm Italian, I'm Pakistani, I'm this, our response is, I am Jewish. I am, we are a people. And so what about, yeah, but Pac- Pakistanis, there are Muslim Pakistanis. There, well, actually, I think there are only Muslim, pa- Muslim Pakistanis. But in, in America, you can be America, you, you can be American, and you can be as you can be, you know, Jewish, Catholic, with all of these. So, what does that mean for our religion? What is the religion part of it? Running across the table. Sorry. It's just like a lot of the questions we have, you know, in high school when they're preparing us for either going to Israel or going to college is a question, are you a Jewish American or are you American Jew? And I think it's, if you're a Jewish American, then Judaism is your primary, like, central identity and American is your nationality. Let's say you're an American Jew, right? Then, like, the question is what's, like, more dominant and also, like, what aspect is which? So now that is the state of Israel does exist, like, can you be a Jew without being, you know, right? Yeah, look, I actually prefer Jewish American because I think that's most similar to Italian American or Chinese American or African American or Indian American. But I would think, I actually think we're asking a different question than that. We're, we're, we're answering a different question now. Are you a Jewish American? Because you can actually hold two nationalities. In right? America. In America. In America. America is funny. You have hyphenated nationality. Right. As opposed to people don't say, I'm a Christian American, I'm a Protestant American. Right. So if I say I'm, I'm a, a Jewish American, that means my nationality is I'm a Jew who lives in America. I'm a hyphenated American, like, <laughs> like an Italian American. Pretty much the same. Right. So, so therefore, it, wanted, you know, what, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me whether I'm a Jewish American, American, American Jew. The question really is: Is are you seeing your Jewish identity as a nationalistic identity, and not as a religious identity or or other kind of identity? So Zionism argues that Jewish is a people, right? The Jewish people. So we are a nation, and now that nation has, like all nations, cultural, ethnic uh, expressions to it. And one of our main cultural expressions of our Judaism, of our Jewish peoplehood, is Judaism, is the religion. So the religion of Judaism is a cultural expression of our national identity, right? Our, our, we, we as a Jewish people have met multiple ethnicities in the Jewish people, just like other people, just like the American people have multiple ethnicities. We have multiple ethnicities, Syrian, uh, Ashkenazi, uh, Yemenite, well, Ethiopian. Way, that's weird. That, that's not so normal. In other words, America is an unusual place in that it was founded in the New World as a place that people can gather from around the but world, so and it becomes a, and so is Israel. American Israel is strange in that you can come with previous ethnic or nat- national bag- baggage and still be part of it. So the Jews in America, and I, I, the reason I think this matters a lot, I don't think, and, and part of the reason we argue in the course that it's it matters, it's fundamental to the whole discussion is, and I'll put it bluntly. Religions don't get states. You don't get a state because of your Protestant denomination. You don't get a state because of your Hindu practice. (coughs) Indians get a state. Italians get a state. Mexicans get a state. 
the Chinese get a state, the Jews get a state, the Pakistanis, but they are, right, but they formed a new national identity based because they weren't, the Hindus and the Muslims weren't getting along. And that was a very complicated, difficult process. I want to take a step back, and I want to prove to you that we are a people and not a religion. Because I think some people trip over this a lot. Maybe you already agree with me, or maybe not. But what 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 are a couple of proofs that we are we're not a, that we're not really a religion? That the religion is only part of an expression of who we are. What? That we have our own language. That we have our own language is clearly part of national identity for sure. That you can you're still considered a Jew irrespective of your practice. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. You can be a Jewish atheist. You can't be a Christian atheist. Not really. What would we have in common, you know, with Jews who express their religion differently? If we were just a religion, we would be different religion. Catholicism and Protestantism are different religions, right? Re- Reform, Orthodox, renewal, whatever you know, conservative. All those di- different expressions of their Judaism do not make us a different people, right? And then the, and then of course the the the, the other throw in there is you. You, you know, is that we have to make sure that we understand we are not a race. That is the one that I don't know if you're hearing on college campus, but often comes up in class when I'm discussing this. People say, well, we're a race. People get these terms confused. We're definitely not a race. Am I wrong or has that fallen out of fashion, that term in I've universities? Every single class this year I've gotten that discussion. But I don't know in universities, do people talk about race really? Yeah. Race yeah. relations, but do they say the, this is a race, the African race? And what did you say? I said I was Jewish. Oh, nice. I didn't know what to say. Nice. No, yeah. that's nice. That's a, that's a problem for us because, first of all, why would I say we're not a race? Because if race is defined by right genetic factors, so, they're, oh, right. You can convert into Judaism to be Jewish people. Anti-Semitism. Well, you see, that's where the word starts. No, no. Racism. It's not racism, but it's, a, it's anti-Zionism. It's anti-Semitism. It's that's in of itself. I think the word racism is a complicated word. I think the word race is a complicated word. And I think sometimes we mean things beyond the boundaries of strict definitions in the same way that anti-Semitism doesn't mean hating Arabs, even though Arabs are Semites. So the, so the language, I, I I wouldn't get too caught up in the linguistic definitions as much as what the person means when they say it. So technically, whether or not anti-Semitism is a form of racism, I don't know, but I, I would be comfortable saying that it's a unique form of racism yeah, in the I mean, general sense of the usage. I like to make sure that people understand it's not racism because then you understand that there are, there are black Jews, there are white Jews, there are brown Jews, there are Jews of every single color, makeup, and fascination. And, in fact, you can convert into, Jude, into Judaism, meaning you can join the Jewish people. You can't join a race. Right? You can't change your race. Right. Well, I guess maybe today you can. You can now. Yeah. Well, you, well there was – no, the, the, the woman got deposed the from the head of the NAACP. NAACP because she was white and she couldn't change her race. Right. He was Hispanic, and he said, I identify as an African-American male, and he did a slam poem about it. Right. Now, if I were going back to what Shoshana asked, she was just very succinctly and very clearly – I would say, someone says to me, well, you're white. I would say, in fact, I'm not white. I'm part of the Jewish people. And if you're defining white, white as European white, I'm clearly not white because Europe rejected the Jewish people for a thousand years, never included the Jewish people as part of them. And, and um, up until, it's not just about the Holocaust, even in the Middle Ages, Jews were seen as other. And just as Adina said earlier, my grandparents were kicked out of Poland 
right? So Europe never accepted us. So on what basis are you defining me as white? While the white Europeans were colonializing and oppressing the world, my grandparents were running away from Cossacks who were white. Exactly. So we were hunkering down by the, from the pogroms when white colonialists were massacring the Native Americans in North America. Which you kind of did say when you said, well, I don't think you understand my history and my culture. Yeah. But then your friend said, don't go into it further. But I think your answer was essentially correct. Well, then how would you deal with the idea that Jews get, have white privilege? Because in a sense we do because we can pass as white. But at the same time, a lot of times it feels like we don't. So light, same thing with light-skinned blacks, you know, in the uh, 1950s or what have you could, could pass. The question isn't what you can pass as. The question is, is what is your, your own identity? Um, now I mean, Ethiopian Jews can't okay. use white privilege, yeah. right? Yemenite Jews. Most Sephardi, you know, people, you know, Jews from North Africa or the Middle East who are darker skinned can't. It's just the ones who lived in Europe. We, we, there are various reasons why Jews end up looking like the people who inhabit the regions where the Jews were in the diaspora. That's a complicated genetic story, but uh, yeah. but we do. And so if we live in it, those of us who lived in the Gingy, in the, yeah. uh, Michael the Gingy. Yeah, hardly. <laughs> but it, but but you you can pass. So then it becomes an issue of do I want to pass or do I want to stand out and be different? Right. So it's per, first of all, as part, if everybody else gets to self-identify, by the way, if everybody gets to say, well, I'm Pakistani, even though you know two generations ago they came. So why don't we get to say I'm Jewish? <laughs> right. Jewish means the word means I am from my people are from Judea. Well, it was 2,000 years ago. Okay, but we've maintained that identity. That's very strange. The reason people are confused by us is because we are the only nation on earth to hold on to our national identity for 2,000 years. For most of that time, thinking of it as a national identity, we had a government, we had kings. Our religion is concerned with national order and issues. No other, I don't know of any other religion that structures national issues the way it does. We sing about it. When you were in Kindergarten, you sang that song. What was that song? Something Yisrael. Oh, hi. What's that song? Oh, right. Um, so that no, but that's it. We talk about when when in in, in the Bible when God promises Abraham, you're gonna get you're gonna have descendants who are gonna have a land and they will be a nation. It's in the first. So now I want to throw a hook into all of this we've been discussing because it makes things even more confusing, and that was the establishment of the state of Israel. Because all, all of a sudden we have now a new national identity called Israeli. That you don't have to actually be Jewish to be Israeli. So that now makes things even more confused well, and, and complicated. The other side is you can be Jewish without being Israeli. And you can be Jewish without being Israeli. And you can be Israeli without being Jewish. Right. And that has now thrown a whole new clink into the, into the equation. And uh, it's complicated. What if they had named the state, and it was for consideration, Judea. what if they had named the state Judea? They had to make a decision. Should we give the new state the name it had when it originally opened in the time of Joshua or what it was named when it closed by the Romans? If they had named it Judea, then the Hebrew word for the state would be Yehuda, and all Yehudim would be confused. Confused, because you'd have, you'd have a different confusion. You'd have, a, are you a citizen Yehudi or a non-citizen Yehudi in Yehuda? But, of course, the Zionists were particularly trying to separate it from that lat, right? The Zionists were tr particularly trying to go back to biblical Israel, right? the biblical identity of Israel. So that's why they eventually chose Israel as the name and not Judea. Awesome question to start us off with, Shoshana. That was amazing. All right, everybody snaps for a Shoshana.
Should we go to another question? Do you feel like we answered it? Yeah. You have a good clarity? Yeah. Other questions? Do you feel that Jews in general have good clarity on these issues? I don't want to say no, but I think no. I also Why think don't you no. want to say no? Because I'd like to think that we understand ourselves better. I think that is the big problem, that we actually don't understand ourselves well, and therefore we cannot tell that story to everybody else. So that's why there's so much confusion. If, they, if we're so confused about this, think about someone who like, knows nothing about you. Like, all they know is, oh, there's this thing called Jews in Israel. Like, how confused they are about what we are. Well, and think about the story. A bunch of yeah. Jews who practice a religion in Europe that got oppressed decided to come to a part of the world that they don't really have a connection to and take the Muslims who live there and take over their land. And now they distinguish... With the, help of the, with the help of the colonialist British and Western world. Thanks, white people. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. Oh, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, but anyway, but, right? But that's what it is. That's the story. And, 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 and now put, listen to it filtered through that. Can you filter sound through a lens? Whatever. Listen to it filtered through that. Hearing device filter and you will hear that people when they complain about Israel they're talking about a religious group taking off land taking over land from an indigenous people not a conflict between two indigenous people who both want to live in the land and have their own state and that mistake is so much of the problem and that confusion in, and, and that confusion gets thrown in there because the one of the major symbols of that conflict is the temple mount harbite things around Jerusalem Right? So now all of a sudden, okay, but there are two religions fighting for it. And in the modern world, well, like, okay, everybody, why can't you just share religious things, which seems reasonable, but it's a lot deeper than that. So there's all this confusion over, over the, and that's why I'm very particular about this whole race thing also. Because I think we really need to be very, very clear about what we are and who I, we are and project that. I just don't think race is a useful word. I just think no, it's I obsolete. Agree. It doesn't describe anything, really. Exactly, and that's why I think we have to make sure that they're, that they're not using that confusing word in connecting with who we are. Yeah. What else is going on in your campuses? That's what I really want to know. Like, what's life like on campus? Um, no, I, ha I get a lot of questions about, like, funding to the PA and, like, things like that. That's, like, a big question that I get a lot about, like, how do Palestinians have money and like isn't the money given through Israel and like how does it, Israel regulate it and does Israel give funding to the West Bank and to the PA and things like that it's like a big conversation that comes up I don't know that's so interesting. yeah that's funny I wouldn't have expected that yeah that's so specific yeah it's really are that oh you've gotten it also anybody else gotten questions about funding and they, they mean like who where's the funding coming from in the world Right? The, where's the funding coming from in the world, and how does Israel play into that? Well, I don't think Israel has anything to do with the funding, as far as I know. In other words, the funding goes directly to the PA. Well, resources, Israel's uh, utilities and things like that, resources Correct. and... No, I think when you're talking about the like, international money that's flowing through... So how do they ensure that, like, like my So how do they ensure that funding doesn't go to terrorism? I, well, uh, the, that is not under Israel's control, as far as I understand. As far as I know, that does not go through Israel. Israel does provide resources, as Michael was saying. First of all, all, all the infrastructure in the, from the Jordan River to the sea, Mediterranean Sea, more or less, exactly, uh, uh, is, is really under Israel's um, uh, 
stru- infrastructure, Sea-water, meaning electricity, right water, um, cell towers, uh, all kinds of different things. Um, so Israel, in fact, there's a huge debt that the Palestinian Authority owes Israel over electricity, water, all those kinds of things. And even in, during, like, uh, <coughs> excuse me, during Tsukitan, right, the whatever that was in 2014, I don't remember the English name for it. Um, Defend, is that defensive shield? Operation Protective Edge. Edge, Protective Edge. So Israel continued to supply Gaza with wa- infrastructure, water, and electricity while we're fighting them. I- I'm not really sure that ever has happened before in history. You'd have to check that. But that you're fighting your enemy and you're giving them essential resources. Why did that happen? Because in 2008, when we were fighting and Israel tried to cut off things, there was such international backlash that they ended up not. But So those kind of things do. But the international money and all that, that's going straight through, and Israel doesn't have control over it. That's why Israel complains at times, well, it's going for you know, terrorist infrastructure, particularly that's happening really in Gaza, not so much in the West Bank. And the relationship with the West Bank, on the face, like in the media, the relationship with the, West, like the Palestinian Authority and the West Bank is terrible. But on the ground, it is much, much, much more cooperative than anybody realizes. First of all, security. Security cooperation is, like, amazing. And that's why there's a lot less things going on today than, than one would expect. Um, also, all this infrastructure stuff. It, 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 relations are really happening on a, on a ground, on ground level. But the money itself is coming mostly from around the world, not just the Arab world, although a lot from the Arab world, but also all around the Western world. By the way, this is one of the big problems with the PA. This economic um, inflow of money from from around the world, because what the PA has done has they've created a, a giant bureaucracy, given people jobs. So now they're, they're, the people are dependent on those jobs for their livelihood. The money has to come from the international world, so um, that money's flowing there. And what they haven't done with the money is develop their own infrastructure. So they haven't developed factories or an uh, in, in industry. Really, I mean, there's some, but not like... A self-sufficient economy. Right, a self-sufficient economy. So therefore, they're dependent on the international community. Their people are dependent on this bureaucracy for their money. And then that keeps the PA sort of in power. And that's a, that's a big problem because what we would like to see is a really independent infrastructure. Um, and then they could have their own self-sufficient self, uh, um, economy. Yeah. Um, so there was an event on campus a couple weeks ago, actually, that uh, a large amount of the Jewish community um, went to, and also a large a lot amount of um, pro-Palestinian and Muslim students went to, about uh, pinkwashing. And it was a documentary um, about how Israel pinkwashes um, all the problems. Basically, it says that Israel is presenting themselves as a gay-friendly, um, LGBT-friendly community in order to cover up other um, horrible things, other injustices that they're doing in the country, and they actually brought up some legitimate points in that the facts that they were bringing to the ground were true on, you know, but they didn't really have a basis in, like, it, it wasn't exactly against Israel, it was just facts that, like, yeah, there are problems in the country, but it doesn't mean Israel is trying to cover anything up, and I think a lot of the problems happen when, like, pro-Israel groups on campus aren't necessarily open to speaking about the problems. And so the people who we say are closed-minded are not any more closed-minded than us. And so when they talk about pinkwashing and we say, well, Israel is, yes, very gay-friendly in places like Tel Aviv, for example, and there also are injustices going on. And for them, like for us, those two aren't connected. And I don't know what you think about that. 
So I think you you uh, you bring up like maybe one of the biggest challenges we have. Um, maybe you know I don't know if it's Dafke in our time period or it's always been this kind of challenge, but it's how to initiate a more open, um, nuanced because that's the word that's become quite the word, but um, dialogue between all the places and to be able to recognize. Uh, that that nothing is one-sided or simple. So in fact, that we actually have a very complex society that has complex issues, and on some of those issues we do okay, some of those issues we do amazing, and some of those issues we're not doing so okay. And how do we bring that into a discussion that's not a polarizing all the different communities? I mean, that's what I was hearing you saying. Is that a fair... Um, sort of sum up. Well, so what do you say to the accusation of pinkwashing, that Israel brags about that it's a liberal democracy when it comes to gays, but that it oppresses Palestinians in the West Bank who don't have basic freedoms like citizenship in a state or the right to vote in free elections? So I, th- I don't say I guess I don't understand, see it as pinkwashing to bring up places where it, uh, uh, a society or a country is is progressive as long as you're not doing it to justify the other policy. Understand? In other words, if you're saying, well, it's okay that we oppress X because we're okay to Y, well, that's not okay. Right? Pinkwashing would be the, the legitimization of the oppression because we're not oppressing this. Right? So I don't think we do that. If that is happening on your campus, meaning... What do you I, say to that? How, what? When somebody says that to you... Right. If you, but why? Why do? You, why do you? Why do you need to separate them? That's what I'm saying. How do you defend what? Well, it's two things. I, I think there's another. I think there's a. I think there's a missing piece. And one of them is: Are you talking about Arabs in the West Bank or Israeli Arabs? And I think people often blur and just talk about Arabs, because the fact is that Israeli citizens, 20 percent of Israeli citizens who are Arabs. Of course, there are minority issues facing any minority community, but essentially live with freedom and equality, and they, 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 they have legitimate complaints sometimes about resources, but not that there are civil rights violations on any sort citizens. of... They're full citizens, like any full citizen. Right. But just like there's women have a, a definite gripe against you know the pay scale in Israel, where women are paid less than men, so our, our, our minorities also have legitimate gripes in terms of being a minority. But they are full citizens to every degree. Arabs in the West Bank is a big problem. But and it's a different problem. In other words, if you're a citizen of the state of Israel, whether you're an Arab or a homosexual, you're treated, you, are, you have equal rights under the law. And so you're treated well. If you want to talk about the West Bank, that's a different issue. The West Bank has not been annexed. Those people are not citizens. And Israel is stuck after having offered them statehood and them rejecting it. <coughs> Israel is stuck having to oversee them militarily. And so it leaves them in a terrible political limbo. This problem by only speaking about the other problems. And it's true that sometimes we just don't address the issue. Don't do that. I mean, if that if that's true, if that's true, and that's happening on your campus, I would say you're right that they should not use it to cover up. That's my point. My point is, if 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 the is you know treatment of of LGBTQ in Israel is being used to cover up other oppressions, right? Oppressions, right? That's wrong, and it shouldn't be done that, that way. But if you know Hillel or whatever wants to have an event that says. You know, we want to teach you about how gays are treated in Israel. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? We're allowed to be able to talk about Israel being more than the Palestinian issue, 
right? So, but it, again, if it's being used to cover up, that is wrong. Um, if people come along and say, well, Palestinians are, have a great life in Israel, again, Palestinians in the West Bank or in Gaza, and there's no oppression there, I think that that's wrong. We've talked about that in class. The fact that they don't have citizenship is a problem. How do they get citizenship in some kind of country, whether Palestinian, Palestine, or Israel? So those are difficult questions that we have to address. Um, but they're not, that the answer to that, the solving of that problem is not in Israel's hands. Everything that Israel has control over, its own citizens, everyone there is treated equally before the law. The issue of the dispute with Palestinians of the West Bank and Gaza, Israel is, is one side of resolving those problems, but it can't resolve them by itself, and so it's, it's dealing with very difficult problems. So, of course... Pro, I, I think it's true that pro-Israel, pro-Israel people focus on Israeli citizen Arabs and don't like to talk about West Bank Arabs. Anti-Israel people like to talk about West Bank Arabs and don't bring up – so then don't do that. So then we should never do that. We should say, look, the fact – the way the, – the civil liberties of, of citizens of the state of Israel shows <laughs> that Israel is based on democratic principles. So to say that it's, a, it's, it's essentially a criminal apartheid state is false that it has a particular problem disengaging with the large population of the West Bank because it can't come to a negotiated settlement, and that produces problems for the inhabitants and their civil liberties. Well, yeah, so Israel works very hard to balance but isn't totally successful, and that's, that is the problem in a nutshell, and we have to talk intelligently about how to resolve that problem. But it's not only Israel that has to resolve the problem. It's the Palestinians who have to resolve the problem. And since Israel has offered them statehood and they've rejected it on a number of occasions – that leaves Israel with, with limited options on how to solve that problem. To, to become citizens? Oh, no, they were never given the opportunity to become citizens. No, they, Israel's never annexed the West Bank. Israel's never tried to annex the West Bank. Israel's annexed two, two areas which were captured in 1967. The Golan Heights, um, where there are not that many um, uh, people living, and they got citizenship. And East Jerusalem, where uh, Arabs in East Jerusalem were offered residency with the ability to apply for citizenship at a certain at some point along that spectrum, which has happened for some and doesn't happen for others. But in the West Bank, outside of Jerusalem um, or Gaza Strip or the Sinai, when we still control Sinai, Arab, Israel never annexed it and never offered citizenship. Um, which some could say is the big problem because Israel has never decided what it's wanted to do with the, the territory, has no, made no definitive statement. And that's how we get into the whole issue of Amona and the problems that, that come up with settlement because Israel has never made a definitive statement but yet has settled communities there. It has become very, it's very confusing to, to us as, first of all, Israelis. It's very confusing to Jews around the world and it's very confusing to the rest of the world for the fact of, you know, so what do you really want with this piece of land? Well, you don't think the offers from Ehud Barak and Ehud Omer of the West Bank and Gaza to Palestinians to make a state is a final status offer where Israel's saying, we are committed to giving you your own state where you could have your own citizenship? I think, I think that when you – when it is to some degree, but I think that since those um, offers were made in – you could say very contested situations. I mean, Ehud Barak less, um, but Ehud Omar. But I think the fact that um, the continual settlement of areas is, is confusing. I do. I think it's confusing. I don't think Israel has made I think, it. I think it is confusing. If, if Arafat had accepted Barak's offer, what would happen? 
If Arafat had accepted Barak's offer, there would be a Palestinian state today. Okay. So then whatever, whatever Israel's doing to confuse the problem, and, and that's fine. You can accuse Israel of confusing the problem, but Israel, I don't think, is the cause of the problem. What would you say is the cause of the problem? I would say Palestinian rejection of a Jewish state as a neighbor and the, the commitment to having either two Arab states or one Arab state between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, not accepting the idea that the Jews are a nation and have a right to a state as, and that they will live in peace next to that neighbor. And? I think that's the cause of the problem. And everything and what do we do with that? And so what do we do with that? What do they do with that on campus? How do they? I, I think you have to talk to the Palestinians. I think that all the pressure... We're not. We have to make our... Listen, this is what, I mean, most people's mother tell them. You can't change other people's behavior. You can change yours. Right. So now the debate... Right. Your parents tell everyone's parents. Almost everyone's. But the but basic... But the, the issue is you have to make your best decisions. And there is a lively, thriving debate in Israel and around the Jewish world and outside the Jewish world of people who care about Israel debating what should Israel do, what are the best decisions Israel can make within the options that it has. And that's a very lively debate. Should it build settlements? Shouldn't it build settlements? Build more? Build There's all sorts of things that are reasonable to debate. What should our policy be? What shouldn't our policy be? But we cannot control, nor should we be under, be under the illusion of being able to control the Palestinian side of the equation. I hear a much less lively debate about Palestinian leadership, about use of funds, is it going to the right thing, about are they building the infrastructure for a future state, are they giving their people civil liberties, do their people have a voice in leadership, is, are there freedoms, basic freedoms of the press? In other words, what groundwork are you laying now, Palestinians, for your future state that will make, and, and what are you doing to make the Jews in Israel feel comfortable with the fact that they will have you as a neighbor? Do they feel confident that you will be a safe and secure and reliable neighbor? So they have to make their decisions. Israel has to make its decisions. And as soon as the world starts pressuring both sides equally to make better decisions, I think, I think we won't have a problem at all watching Israel make uh, very, very excellent decisions. But still the question is, is how they present this on campus, I think is what we're... You know, on a very how, – how do, how do we introduce these more difficult, challenging concepts um, where we want uh, more complex discussion? Different than what? What? Different than this polarized, you know, oh, it's pinkwashing. I mean, that's what I'm hearing from Lisa, right? It's pinkwashing, right? That, 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 you know, how do we get how – how do we sort of in, in, instigate, invigorate, I don't know, a conversation going? Well, that's, what, that's how I would invigorate it. I would say, look, Israel's making its decisions within Israel the way it makes it. Palestinians make their decisions the way they to make it, the way they make them. Now you want to talk about how to get the two sides to negotiate. That's a reasonable discussion. But to say that Israel's pinkwashing, because although it treats all its citizens equally before the law, including Arabs and homosexuals, and Israel's proud of that and has the right to be proud of that, the <coughs> fact that it's having difficulty resolving the status of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza – because I think largely because of decisions that they're making, very hard to blame Israel for that. You can blame Israel if you think that this policy or that policy is wrong. But the fact that they're treating homosexuals with equality before the law and Arabs with equality before the law isn't something to blame Israel for. And they're not doing it because they're trying to cover up the West Bank. They're doing it because Israel is based on democratic principles. That's not pinkwashing. It, it's not perfect. 
Let's talk about the problems, and let's talk about who's responsible for which problems and who can fix which problems. So what, what we're saying basically is you need to make sort of fundamental uh, distinctions between the different uh, between the different issues. I think. Um, okay. Any other thoughts, questions, something on your cusp? Yes, Mark. Um, I think this kind of relates to what Elisa was saying before, but I think it's a more general question about how we take Zionism from a reactionary place into a more active place about where we are changing the narrative, not just in in isolated situations and trying trying to introduce a more balanced, more balanced idea of what's going on, but try and reshaping it on our own turf rather than others. Well, you actually uh, give us opportunity to, uh, first of all, 100% agree with you, and uh, uh, really also talk about what we've been talking about a lot um, in terms of Israel advocacy and that word, which is that it's time that Israel advocacy stopped being um, like, uh, what do you call it, crisis uh, Zionism, right, crisis Zionism, whereas, oh, something happens, let's defend Israel, let's be reactive, right, let's, oh, let's this, and, and actually um, put, put out our story, of, of a positive Israel, of what, what we're doing here, right? In fact, I think people, uh, I kind of make it the difference between um, our, our Zionism versus being pro-Israel, right? You know, pro-Israel is like, I love Israel, Israel's great, Israel's right to exist, I want to defend Israel, or, you know, and those are all the good things, and those are not saying the bad thing, or being a Zionist, you understand the sovereign rights of a people to have self-determination in their homeland, and, and that actually it's an incredible story of coming home after 2,000 years of not having that. And the fact that we were able to hold on to that and being committed to that and being the fact that the Jewish people without Israel is fundamentally, um, uh, was, uh, fundamentally pagum, um, what? flawed, incomplete. Right? Fundamentally incomplete and flawed. And we cannot thrive and be who we are if we don't have self-determination in our homeland. And that is, I think, the story that we want to get out there. And that is the story that we don't want to be react, reactionary, but actually say that and, be, and state that. And, and it, gets, it does get to your question. And it doesn't become pinkwashing. It becomes, this is our story. This is where we're here. And you know what happened? Because of our particular circumstance, when we came home, there was another people here that they actually also have legitimate claims here. And therefore, we have this conflict, and we have to work it out. But that conflict doesn't negate everything else, right? The conflict doesn't negate everything else. And, by the way, that conflict shouldn't color everything else either. That is, I think, the, 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 the story that I would like to get out there. And how do you do that? Um, I think we have to re- start, start reusing the, word, the dirty word Zionism. I mean, how often do you really hear it used, right? We hear pro-Israel, Israel advocacy. When do we ever talk about Zionism, right? The fundamental ideology of a people seeking self-determination in their ancient homeland. That's the story we have to be talking. I think we also have to, to – I think part of it is just – really comes down to a change in self-perception and a change of attitude. In other words, something like happened. okay, uh, John Kerry gives a speech. Oh, look at the world. Look how they hate us. Uh, unfortunately, you have a terrible terrorist attack yesterday. Oh, look at how the world hates us. They don't care. Well, oh, look at the headline on BBC. Look right. at the, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which is important to know. Right. But I'm CNN one was a very good one. Headline, but nobody 
opposed to that. Right. <laughs> right. Well, we part can. of it, wh- p- why do we notice the bad ones and not the good ones? I think because we, we are in our own inner dialogue, we see ourselves as victims of the world's hate. And not as a sovereign people who are finally getting up on our feet again after thousands of years of being a broken nation. Only a broken nation, dysfunctional nation, wanders the world without a homeland. And now we're rebuilding it. And so what happened once we got the state? We are no longer the victims. We are no longer anybody's victims. We are a free people in our homeland with the right to defend ourselves and speak for ourselves. And yet we constantly, we forget it. And we crouch back into this, everybody hates us, there's nothing we can do. Well, that, I, I think that's fundamentally wrong. I think it's time for us to say, as the Ba'alei Habayat, as the owners of, the, of, our, of our land, of our state, we, the forgers of our own destiny for the first time in thousands of years, thank God, it's time for us to stop knee-jerk, you know, beating, uh, oh, why does everyone hate me? That's not a healthy mindset. Nobody, first of all, people don't care about you enough to really hate you, for the most part, Jews. They just don't think about you that much. You know, it's, and the same, it, it breaks down to the same individuals. You know, you have that feeling that, oh, what are they thinking about me? What are they? But you know that other people, you're not thinking about other people that much. You know, when you're in a crowd and you're like, oh, what do they think about what I just said? Well, they're not. They're just not. Like, you're just not. They're not thinking about you. You're busy worrying about what you said, and they're thinking about what they said. So the world isn't thinking about us that much. We're the owners. We should be speaking from a place of self-respect, ownership, and comfort, and lose this whole, why, why, why does everyone hate us so much? And I think then it's going to come across much more as a proactive Zionist position instead of a, how can I explain myself to make people not hate me so much? I have to really agree, and I know that, like, talking to all of my friends who are on college campuses. Before we got onto college campus, everyone warned us that people are going to accuse you of things, people are going to be against Judaism, be against Zionism, be against Israel, etc. And what we all found was that people were so curious and open to hearing about things. I know a bunch of us are taking videos of our time in Israel for our non-Jewish friends because they're so curious and they just some of them were like, I've never even met a Jew before. You guys are so cool. You guys have the funnest religion. Like, most fun (laughs) like yeah and i just think that um if we had been not warned i guess but warned beforehand at how positive people's reaction would be i think it would have helped us also that's a great point make sure we put that into the campus uh yeah 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 unit yeah 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 we should make that explicit in the campus unit great like what kind of videos are you showing people um, Nachman dancers, um, Kumsitzes, um, the Shuk, um, bus drivers screaming at people, um, <laughs> things like that, like just Israel. And why do you think that's valuable for these people to see and hear these images of Israel? Why is it valuable? Um, well, first of all, they really didn't know anything. Like, I had one friend who was just like, I've really never met a Jew before. You guys are so normal. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we're just we're just people, um, and I think I don't know. They're just really curious. She also has been doing it. So, sorry, sorry. I actually took a video of like a kumzitz that happened right in front of the hotel, and a lot of people when they heard that I was going to Jerusalem, they're like, "Oh my God, it's going to be so dangerous!" And they're texting me if I'm okay. And a lot of times when they're thinking of Jerusalem, they may be thinking of the wall, but they're thinking of a lot of scary people running around and terrorists. And I wanted to show like. 
no, like here we are in front of the Kotel and we're like 300 Jews sitting down and we're singing Jewish songs together, like coming together for a certain cause. And I sent him this video and he was like, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Like, I wish I was there with you right now to witness this. And I think it's really just important to show them that it's not this crazy war zone and things are happening, but we really are like such a community that comes together and in times of need. And we're at those places where they're hearing on the news where the worst things are happening, but like that's not happening all the time. There's also a lot of amazing things that come together at the same exact places. It is happening, but it's not what it's about. Yeah. yeah. A lot of us also got, a lot of us got texts yesterday from our non-Jewish friends asking, hey, like, I heard about what happened in Israel. Are you okay? And I just thought that was so interesting. I didn't realize people had heard about it and that it was so something open and like they were really because of the truck, uh, the yeah, truck exactly. ramming. And they were nervous and caring and they didn't have a bad view on it as we were always told by teachers. So do you feel like most, most open-minded people are willing to hear you positively? And you know, that's your, is that everybody's experience at the table? Uh, yeah, I agree with Shoshana a lot that I think that my experience in college has been much more positive than I expected it to be. And even from people who I was not expecting it. Like, I have a good friend who's Pakistani, and we had one of our first conversations, he told me that the first page of his passport says this passport is valid in every country but Israel. But then he went to tell me the, how he really understands the Israeli situation, and that even though all of his media that he consumes is overwhelmingly pro-Palestinian, like, he somehow has deciphered the Israeli situation and why that that is a much, and now has a much more balanced narrative that we can speak about intelligently so like all the more so people who aren't affiliated to one side are very open and willing to hear and very human and understanding about it um I, I guess this is kind of a question. A problem that I have a lot of the time is people are very receptive to hearing about Judaism. I have a lot of friends who like they're Muslim and they want to hear all about my traditions. And I know that should be an opportunity to talk about Israel and show them the good parts of it, but I'm scared to bring it up because, like, we're happy and we're getting along talking about religion. And, like, why should I bring up Zionism if everyone was getting along so well already? Why should I drop the I-bomb? You want it? Yeah, I mean, I actually have a totally different, like, perspective. Um, I think, like, I've – I don't really, like, broach this conversation so much, but, like, people will just, like – here like I've had like multiple conversations actually where people will just be like wow I've just heard all these awful awful things about is either like Palestinians or just like like people who will just say like all the terrible things they've heard about Israel um and I guess maybe that's because like they're not ignorant they've like been like they've like researched and whatever but um yeah I've definitely pretty much experienced like um more of like a negative like backlash in what form um just saying like all the bad things that Israel does and, like, you know, um, yeah, things like that. What campus? Oh, Harvard. But I think, I mean, I, I'm not saying that, like, they're, they're also, like... In a way that makes you personally uncomfortable or just it's a little confrontational? Um, no, I mean, it depends who I'm talking to. It's not, like, confrontational or anything, but, like, I think, like, it's not about me. It's not a personal thing. It's more about, like, oh, we're just talking about the issues, um, but... And I, there are definitely people who have more nuanced views and um, not, but, yeah. Um, I was actually surprised to find that, like, while I thought that there would be a, a good amount of people who were on the other side who, well, like, I have spent my entire, you know, 
life learning about the Israeli side of the conflict and I guess the history of Israel, I assume that there would people be people who were on the other side who were, um, I guess, either religious Muslims or just knew a lot about the Palestinian side of the conflict. Um, and what I was very surprised to find was that um, one of my very good friends and a lot of her close friends that I um, interacted with at a Muslim Student Association dinner was that they actually knew nothing about Israel and they knew nothing about Palestine and they knew nothing about the history of the land. And um, I asked her, she said, she said to me that she was a religious Muslim and that she prays, you know, a couple times a day as much as she can, but she actually knows nothing. She didn't know the term West Bank. She didn't know um, really much about the conflict. She is American, but her parents, I don't know where they're from, but um, she was raised as a religious Muslim. Um, and I was just shocked to find that while everyone talks about, you know, there's 20% who are one side, 20% the other, and then there's the 80% in the middle, from what I've come across, and this is just, you know, being on a college campus, going to a lot of, you know, events for the MSA, the Muslim Student Association, um, that there is, I found a lot more people who knew nothing than I expected. And do you feel it's valuable to go to Muslim Student Association events? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought it was an amazing experience. First of all, I get to hear things. I go to Washington University in St. Louis. Um, and what are you getting at? What do you, what do you think is the value? Like, why are you? Well, I think it opens up a conversation. Yeah. Right. I think um, you definitely have to seek out the conversation because if you don't want to go, then they're just not going to, you know, they're not going to engage you because they don't know who to talk to. They don't know where they're, you know, we're getting our information from. And I, I don't think they necessarily have the resources that we do um, about any history or any conflict. Um, and I think it's also valuable because the things that they say that they've grown up with, the ideology that they've grown up with, that Israel is a place that, you know, oppresses Palestinians or they just don't know enough, is that you kind of realize that there's just a big gap to fill and that conversation, whether it leads to something or not, is just some, it's, it's a value of having. There's a lot more ignorance than anger that you're encountering. I mean, I've, I've encountered some anger, definitely. I've encountered a lot of ignorance. So I think we should we should we should wrap up. I just think uh, by so sort of wrapping up. They may up. have questions they may want to ask off the podcast, yeah. which is also cool. But yeah. but let's but let's wrap up. Or they may just want to be done because we're already. It's like that's true. Also, so I'll, I'll let everyone they decide. Enjoy I'm going to end the right. Let me just wrap up. I just want to say to wrap up. I think what one thing that comes out, especially at this little last part, is it, the story isn't like a simple. You know, one page, one sided. The world's out to get us, or the world's it's 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 just as it is everywhere. There are many different sides, many different people with many different attitudes, probably on very different on all the different campuses. Um, and I think that that's that's part of it. I think to answer sort of to end with answering Stephanie's question, like why ruin that good relationship? It's not about ruining the good relationship. I think a one obviously one has to feel um, confident and comfortable when they want to share something that they may you know have to go out on a limb for a bit. The second thing is, how much is Israel part of who you are and your Jewish identity is how much you want to share with friends and people who you're getting to know. Um, yeah, it's also true that in not every scenario is it appropriate or organic and you have to make a good judgment call. Exactly. And then, right, and that's the third thing. Ultimately, you know, you have to see where you want to go with what friends and what you want to discuss and where people want to be. And when. Um, right, and when. Um, uh, and uh, maybe that bringing it up in a certain situation isn't helpful. Yeah, exactly. So uh, thank you guys so much 
for participating and giving us a really good inkling insight into what's happening uh, on your campuses. And I'm really going to recommend that other students on campuses, but also students in Israel this year, I think we should push really that they should listen because I think there's a I gain so much listening to it, and I'm not going to campus, yeah. but I can only imagine that students studying this year, I think this is a really great thing for them to listen to. Yeah. We're not going to do a special episode about uh, the truck ramming terrorist attack yesterday. Uh, I will say that if you are interested in just some gen- gen- general background thoughts about the past couple of weeks with the United Nations and Kerry's speech and everything going on with the Trump administration and terrorist activity, I would recommend that you check out uh, our recent blog, The Five Stages of Middle East Grief, about how to get to a sense of acceptance about what's really going on. And with that, let me thank, what is what is this program called? MTVA, Midrash Torah Vavodah. But what? No, 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 what's the, is it Refresh or something? Oh, I'll, I'll Recharge. for Recharge. Thank you very much, ladies, on the re- in the Recharge group. Thank you so much. I really... This went like a billion times better than I even hoped because I I, I really think the things you said for me are so helpful. And like I say, I think uh, for others, I think it'll be even more helpful if they're around your age. And we enjoyed you being a fly on the wall, Michael. (laughs) I'm so bad at that. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. You have to make fun of me every episode.